Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Well, getting in the game, that's what we've been talking about. And, uh, you know, 2020 has definitely been that year that if we were wise, we would take advantage of the circumstances and ask ourselves some very important questions, you know, like what really are my priorities? What really matters? Uh, what am I going to focus on? What am I going to forget about? What, what things just I've made such a big thing of, but in reality is not a big thing. And so it's a great opportunity to ask yourself some good questions and, uh, and to make some adjustments and to not take advantage of that opportunity. It is definitely a missed opportunity. So today, as we talk about getting in the game, we're, we're going to be focusing on worship and we're going to be looking at a biblical definition of worship, not our cultural definition of worship. So let's begin with prayer today. Father, as we study your holy word, let our focus be on truth, your truth, and that we will adjust our lives according to your truth. Father, that I'm willing to set aside opinions that have grown out of experience or opinions that have grown out of my heritage. If it's contrary to your truth, I need to adjust. And so I pray that we are willing to make those difficult decisions at times, those uncomfortable decisions where we say, okay, this is what I've always believed and it's not true, or the Bible tells me something different. Therefore, it's my job to adjust to scripture. And so I pray today that when we get a little uncomfortable at what you have to say about some things, that we will look at it from your perspective. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. You know, we have conditioned ourselves to worship. Um, we have opinions, we have viewpoints on worship. Uh, some of you, you, there's certain words of worship that mean a lot to you. There are certain songs, there are some emotions that come out when you, and when I say this, you know, I'm talking about when we worship, uh, like we just did in the last few moments, some of you, you love to raise your hands when you're worshiping. Some of you, if the truth be known, you'd like to have a little happy feet when you worship. And, uh, and so you're, some of you, you think, well, worship is when I serve worship is when I'm, uh, in a certain place worship is when I'm giving. And, uh, and so, uh, some of you, you say, well, I worship best with this worship team. I love this worship music. And, and yet the scripture causes us to back up and say some things <clears throat> and to ask ourselves some very important questions. So turn, if you would, to first Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to look at verse 31. It says, so whether you drink or eat, which basically don't focus on the eating and drinking part of that, focus on just the normal daily routines, whatever, you know, when you're doing even the simple stuff of life, you're doing the everything th stuff of life, the things you don't even think about parts of life, whether you, whatever, uh, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So that's laying this foundational principle, this truth, 
my life, even in the simplest of things like eating and drinking, need to be about the glory of God. In fact, go back to, I don't know if you've ever studied the Westminster Confession of Faith. There's some really good stuff in there. And and here's one of the things that it says. It says, the chief end of all mankind is the glory of God. The chief end, the main reason, the main purpose where it's all headed, it is for the glory of God. Of God. Well, that seems to back up what 1 Corinthians 10 says. No matter what you do, no, have, no matter how trivial it may seem, you do it for the glory of God. So that's a mindset change. That's worship. Every aspect of my life is to be about worshiping God. So that's, that's a change. Here, here's what Jesus said. He said, for God is spirit... And he ought to know because he was God. God is spirit so that, so those who worship him, those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. I need to make sure I understand what that means because Jesus said, that's how I have to do it. So I need to know what truth is. I need to understand the spirit aspect, my spirit, because if that is the way you truly worship God, I I need to understand truth, and I'm going to find truth in Scripture, and I I need to understand my spirit and how that works. See, it's a little S spirit. Whenever it's a capital S spirit, it's talking about the Holy Spirit. A little S spirit, it's talking about your spirit. So I need to understand in spirit and in truth. What does that mean? Otherwise, I'm missing what Jesus is saying. Here's another thing that Jesus said when he was questioned by the religious guys. He says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. Every part of you, you must love the Lord your God. You could even say, worship the Lord your God with every part of your being. You hold nothing back from him. You give it all to him. It all belongs to him. And then he says, the second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. So when you love your neighbor, you're loving God. You're worshiping God. When you do things for your neighbor, uh, when you see something that needs to be done and you just go and do it, when you help out, uh, you're loving God. When, When you do something for a stranger, you're loving God. You're worshiping God. So even if you just do a simple task for somebody else, you need to say, I'm, I'm doing this because it's worshiping God. It pleases him. So you need to set as a goal, you need to set as a goal in your life, everything in me must worship God. Everything. Worship is that living sacrifice that I, as I'm doing, I'm worshiping. 
Now, here's where we can get confused. We get confused with moments of worship with a life of worship. Now, a few moments ago, the first part of this service, we had a moment of worship. And that's a good thing, but it's a far different thing when you compare it to a life of worship. Moments of worship are great, and you each have your own favorite songs and your favorite worship leaders. And I mean, my, my son's coming out with a CD next month, and we always love listening to his music. But those create only moments of worship. If I don't cross over to living a life of worship, I think I've missed the whole point. I've missed it. Moments of worship is no substitute for a life of worship. That's why it's important I truly grab this, understand this, nurture this in my life based on what scripture teaches me. The first does not automatically translate into the second. Did you hear that one? Moments of worship do not automatically transfer into a life of worship. If you do one without the other, you've missed the essence of what God has said to you through Jesus. Now concerning the Pharisees, here's what Jesus said, and he's quoting Isaiah. He basically said, you cancel the word of God for the sake of your tradition. That's what he's saying to them. You have taken God's word and you've canceled it out because you love your traditions. You love your music. You love your type of music. You love your form of music. You love your style of music. You love your worship songs that you like, and whether it's something from your family or from growing up or whatever. I mean, there's some old hymns that I still love and, and uh, every once in a while I love a, a pipe organ and, a, and I, I enjoy that kind of stuff, but I must not confuse my form of worship with a life of worship and I must not confuse and cancel the word of God for the sake of my traditions because here's what Jesus had to say about that in Matthew 15. These people, and he's quoting Isaiah, Isaiah here, he said, these people honor me with their lips, their, their moments of worship. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are so far from me. Their worship, and this is really key what Jesus says here. Their worship is a farce. You see, when you worship in your moments God is actually examining your heart. And if your heart does not line up with your moment of worship, then he declares that your worship is a farce. That ought to get your attention. In fact, before you utter the next song that you sing, you ought to ask yourself, Lord, does this line up with my life? Because here's the deal, when you sing words, it's the same as if you're saying those words. And so often we sing worship songs and we're actually lying because it's not true. There's an old hymn that we used to sing 
and we would sing uh, about God and we would say, not a mite will I withhold. And yet when we would leave church, we would hang on with all of our might. I'm going to hold nothing back from you, God. We would sing that. And then when we would leave, we held on to everything very tightly. So it was a lie. It was a farce. So when you sing words that aren't true to what your heart is saying, you're singing a lie. And God, that's why God says it's a farce. It says, for, and Matthew, uh, Jesus went on to say, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. That never works. Never. Here's something else Jesus said in Matthew 7. And again, this ought to get my attention. He says, not everyone who calls out to me whether you're at a worship concert and everybody's singing praises to God at the top of their voices and the place is packed out and you can just feel the energy and the hands are raised. He says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. I think what that says not everyone who has moments of worship are really a part of my family. Not everyone. And when they die, they won't be with me. Only those who actually do the will of the, my Father in heaven will enter. Well, when I read a verse like that, and these are the words of Jesus, I have to ask a logical question then what is actually the will of the Father? Because if I'm not doing it, I don't get to go to heaven. So what is actually the will of the Father? Well, first and foremost, that you accept his son's sacrifice into your own life. You thank him, you ask him to, uh, you, you accept his free gift to you of your salvation by dying, that in fact he died for you. So you begin there, that is the will of the Father. And then secondly, that you worship him alone. You don't worship anything or anyone else. You worship God alone. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, no matter how popular that new song might be, will enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, it's not about reading words not about singing words it's about engaging your heart in the churches of america we have become a spiritual democracy and that is we are imposing our will on god oh i see it and hear it all the time people with their expectations people with their demands this is the way it ought to be because that's what i like and so we think that somehow the church has become this spiritual democracy that we get to vote on what God's will is. We get to decide what God's will is for us. And when God's already made it very plain in his word, the question is not, do we worship? The question is, what do we worship? You see, your soul is the connection between your body and your spirit. 
And the spirit and the body are always fighting with each other. So you have your soul and you have your spirit and your body. And these two are always fighting with each other for control of the soul. Your soul determines what and who you worship. The body and the spirit are always seeking to influence the soul. So number one, your soul chooses what you worship. Secondly, the spirit and the body influence your soul. In in Galatians 5, it says the sinful nature wants to do evil. Don't kid yourself. You you know there are times you just want to do bad stuff, right? I I mean, there are times you you just want to get even with somebody, right? There are times when somebody does something and you just like, oh, I so wish there were Christian assassins around. I mean, there are times you just wish you could just get even, you could hurt somebody, you could, you could just make them pay a price. There, there are just times you just want to do bad stuff. It's so enticing. It looks so fun. The, the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. So my body wants one thing, my spirit wants something else. And it says, and the spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sin nature desires. So there's a battle going on. My body says this, my spirit says this, and there's just a battle. And whichever one I pay attention to the most is the one that's going to win. Whichever one I feed the most, that's the one that's going to win. It says these two forces are constantly fighting each other. Let me tell you, let me go ahead and help you. The day will come when that stops happening. So that's the good news. The good news, the day will come where you will grow in your maturity to the point that that battle stops. The bad news is the day you die. Listen, as long as you're alive, you're going to have this battle. Your spirit and your body are going to fight each other. And they're fighting for control of your soul. And they will constantly fight each other. So you're not free, according to scripture, you're not free to carry out your own good attention. So you may have great intentions and you may have great desires and proper desires. But unless the spirit wins the battle, your soul is going to follow. It's going to follow the body. Number three, God created you to worship. He did. He created you to worship him in truth and in spirit. Um, let me read John four twenty four again. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So if that's true, and it is because Jesus said it, that means God created me that way. That means that God has given me the ability to do it. So I have the ability to worship him in spirit and in truth. I just need to find out what it means. And that's what we're talking about. Number four, Satan desires, don't don't miss this one. Satan desires to break your worship. You see, if he loses the battle for your soul, then he goes after your worship. 
You see, if he can get you to stop worshiping, and I'm not talking about he gets you to stop listening to Christian songs. He gets you to stop worshiping in a worship service. That's not what I'm talking about. He gets you to stop worshiping God with your life, that constant worship. And so if he loses the battle for your soul, then he goes after your worship because that flies in the face of holy God. And he can't do anything to God. He cannot touch God. So he touches what's dear to God, and that's you. Jesus had this encounter with Satan in Matthew 4. It says, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He says, I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. You know, some debate whether the kingdoms of the world were Satan to give. I don't think that's really the issue because he's always, all of his goods are counterfeit anyway. Everything he offers you is counterfeit. Everything he comes up with to entice you with is based on a lie and based on things contrary to God's word. And so here's how Jesus responded to him. Get out of here, Satan. For the scripture says you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Hmm. So Jesus said, what we do is worship God, only him, and serve only him. And your body and your spirit are always fighting that battle. So what does a worshipful life even look like? If that's what's supposed to be true about me, and I must worship the Lord my God and serve him only. What, what does a worshipful life look like? Well, it, it's when you align yourself with God. When your spirit, your soul aligns with God's spirit and God's purpose and God's will. When you finally say, I don't belong to me, I belong to you. I'm not in charge of me, you're in charge of me. This is not my life, this is your life. I'm here to serve you. So you start with your heart. Your heart is the throne room of your life. So who's sitting on the throne of your heart? In Psalm 63, 1, it says, Oh God, you are my God. God on heaven's throne or, or on the throne of my heart. So uh, can you say that? Jesus, God, Father, you are on the throne of my life. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. When I read that, I stopped for a moment and said, if anything described the United States today, it's that phrase, parched and weary land. Our land is so weary right now. Our country is so weary. We're weary about the politics. We're weary about the social unrest. We're we weary about what's truth. 
We're weary about the lies that we're constantly told. And so we're like parched people longing to satisfy our thirst for truth. Just somebody stand up and tell us the truth. We can handle it when we know the truth. When we have to spend all of our time trying to dissect things and figure things out and we can't even trust our own investigative powers because what we find out there, I don't know if that's the truth or not. And in our country, even the investigators are investigated. Who do we trust? So we're thirsting for truth. And we long for this. We long for the pure water of truth. And the truth is God alone can bring peace to our country. God alone can restore our country. I think we figured out politics can't do it for us. God alone can restore purpose for our country. So for you personally, who's on the throne of your heart? Secondly, your soul is your will. It determines what you choose. And Joshua, he said, but if you refuse to serve the Lord then choose today with whom you're going to serve. It's like that old song, you're going to serve somebody, so just decide. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors serve beyond the Euphrates? And that wasn't a good choice, didn't work out too well for them. Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? And it didn't work out too well for them either. But as for me and my family, my house, we will serve the Lord. So you decide who's on the throne of your heart, but you also have to make a determination of your will in your soul and choose. And just be honest about it. I choose to serve me. I choose to do what I've determined is happiness. I choose to do what satisfies me. Let me know how that works out for you. Because it never ends well. Then third, your mind is your thoughts. It determines what you dwell on. In Philippians 4.8, it says, fix your thoughts on what is true. We long for that. What is honorable. I wish we could find that. What is right and pure. You know, it's like our country is longing for that trustworthy statesman who speaks truth to us. Fix your thoughts on what is true, what is honorable, what is right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. 
So it matters what you focus on. It matters what you think about. And you choose. Every day you choose. You know, and as a lot of you spend a lot of time watching series of TV shows and with, uh, on the internet, regardless of what platform you used, and, and you watched a lot of things. And, and uh, I remember I, was, I saw something that seemed interesting, and I watched the first episode, and, and I had to stop. And I had to say, is this worthy of my time? And is this, is this excellent? Is it worthy of praise? Is this admirable? Is it right? Is it pure? And I quickly said, no, it's not. I said, well, I'm not going to watch anymore. Because if I watched a little more, I would be drawn in, enticed. Listen to me on this one, parents. There is a documentary that's out on Netflix right now called The Social Dilemma. And my wife and I sat down and watched it about an hour and a half long and we immediately sent it to both of our kids and said, you both, all four of you need to watch this for the sake of your kids. And and it's a documentary about social media and it was written, the documentary is based on the engineers, the uh, analysts, the software people who created the whole social media and how they've all gotten out of it. They talked about how their intentions were right and they thought it was a good thing and then they realized how basically evil has taken it over and it has not become a good thing. And it was fascinating to me how the people that uh, created these things and own these things, how most of them do not allow any of their kids on social media. And it will be an eye-opening thing for you to watch and to help you to realize how easily our children, this generation, can be manipulated. Number four, and the last one, your strength is your actions. It determines what you do. Romans 12, 1, he says, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Why? Because of all he's done for you. For what Jesus did for you. That's enough reason You just think of the cross, you think of that empty tomb, you think of that mansion that has been reserved for you. You think of that kingdom of eternity that your name is on the deed because you're an heir. That's enough reason right there. Give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. I mean, your bodies are short-lived at best, and, and why not give them to him to be used by him for his glory? Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. So here again, it's what his determination, his definition is about what's acceptable. This, oh, here it is. 
This is truly the way to worship him. There's your definition of worship. That I give my body to God. And when he says body there, I think he's implying your entire being, your spirit, your soul, your physical body. Let it be a living and holy sacrifice based on his definitions. This is truly the way to worship him. So choose. Choose today whom you're going to worship. Let's pray.